I'm reading from 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Yusuf Carillo is speaking today, and Yusuf, if you didn't know, is one of our elders here at church, and I'm just going to take a second and pray for him, so if you guys can kind of send your energy his way. Lord Jesus, I just pray for Yusuf as he comes up here and speaks your word. Lord, I just pray that you will give him the confidence and just peace. And Lord, as an audience, I just pray that you will open our ears and hearts to hear what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Morning. Let me settle here. It's the first time I do this, so I might fumble a little. I'll start out with a little bit of a somber question. I promise this won't be a downer, but have you ever thought what your last words would be to your loved ones if you knew you would not see them again in this life? Take a moment to think about that. When I was thinking of this question myself, I could think I would say some things, very poignant ones, some probably not that poignant. If some of you guys knew me, I'd probably start rambling, and it'd probably not make a lot of sense, and I'd probably end up like, oh, wait, I forgot about another one, ah, you know, and that's it. Loved ones are very important in our life. We want to be near them. They're there with us when we're born. When we die, we hope they're with us. We want to be with them in our big celebrations, in our victories, in our graduations, in our vacations. Sometimes. (laughs) 
So, so we have loved ones, but what's the deal with the word love? And we think about the people we love. Have you ever noticed that this is one of the most used, thrown about terms in our daily talk? We talk about, I love you, and how, how it's been so diluted. And people say, oh, I, I love you, but, you know, it can mean many things. We also say we love many things, and it really just expresses our, our cravings. You know, I, I love chicken sandwiches. Or, I love the ace. Or we use it to describe excitement. I love it when somebody does something you like. We say we love, but do we really? And what's real love? What does this mean? So we're going to tackle this. Not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to do it in little chunks. So we'll start with verse 7 and 8, where John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. See, John starts with the source. He calls us to love one another. And I want you to remember who had this call before John, because these are words that somebody else said. It's actually Jesus. If you go to John, the Gospel, chapter 15, verses 9 through 13, you can actually read it there. Jesus is calling us to love. And I'll do a really quick jaunt to actually read it out to you guys. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So what John's telling us is a recap from what Jesus told him personally. He's telling us that love flows from God. Now I want to make a specific point about been born. In other translations, been born means really being fathered. And that's a term that to us might seem a little bit odd. But to a first century listener, being fathered wouldn't have been that weird more than actually just belonging to a family, being fathered actually implies that you shared characteristics with a person that fathered you. It kind of goes along the lines of the term a chip off the old block. You see some people and you're like, I can see his dad. You know, He has the same ears. He has the same nose. He has the same face. He acts the same way. So what John is saying is that being fathered by God, being his son, has attributes of the Father. It also happens with us. We inherit attributes of our loved ones. And I'd like to make a point because we get to know people around us. I mean, really, really get to know them. We begin to understand their personality traits and their character, all the really fun, amazing qualities, as well as the not-so-fun ones, the ugly ones. Getting to know somebody eventually leads to discovering their nature. We get to find out who they really are, what makes them tick, and what their character is really like. Intimacy with God results in understanding God's character. And what John's telling us here is that God in his perfection allows us to get to know him intimately, and the closer we hang out with God, the more we understand his character. And his character is loving. When John says God is love, he's essentially saying you will find no truer expression of love 
than being in an intimate relationship with God. God defines love better than we could ever dream of. So loving each other, real love, the way that Jesus commanded us, is rooted in this truth and in a personal relationship with Jesus. Nowhere else. How is your walk with Jesus? You see, Jesus knew the Father intimately. If you turn to John 5, 17, and I'll skip over also to 19 and, and verse 21, Jesus says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Switching over to verse 9. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And verse 10. And this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Propitiation, another word for atonement or payment. You see, God understands us. He knows our hearts. He really deeply knows us individually. And he knows what makes us tick. He knows our character. There's a verse, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll quote it. It's uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. He says, the prophet, and it's really God speaking through him at this point, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. His love is ultimately expressed in sending his son Jesus as a way for us to live. The expression of love in Jesus is so perfectly played out that John can confidently say that for us sinners, love is personally defined by the gospel. What's the gospel? It's good news for bad people. It's good news for us. Jesus died for all your sins. Not for some of them, but for all of them. And at the cross, the atonement, the propitiation, is complete. So we rest our faith in that obedient act of love, and we live new lives, redeemed, discovering how deep this love runs. See, because of the cross, Jesus Christ can live in us, and it's his ability to love that matters, not ours. I want to let you guys know before I keep going, the word that... John is using here is agape. And you might have heard this before. There's several words that are used for the term love. We only have one. And we kind of have to make distinctions because of context. In the Greek, agape means unconditional love. As opposed to eros or philias, which were more related to romance or family relationships. This has to do with unconditional love. True love that stems from the Father. Jesus pursued us, not the other way around. We didn't pursue Jesus. And Jesus saved us. And it wasn't because of our works or anything we did. It was grace. Let's keep this in mind because many times we, and I include myself here really, really strongly, even to the point of deceiving ourselves, we think we're loving, but we're not. We think we're acting in love, but we're not. Because our heart is really deceiving. 
and we trust it way more than we should. Think about gossip and what it does to people. And many times when I've been challenged or somebody else has been challenged by gossip, the common answer is, oh, I really needed to bring this to people's attention, as if somebody was performing a service. The Bible is clear. Don't gossip. Why do you tear down instead of building up? That's not loving. Why do we judge others based on food, drink, hairstyle, music, listening, habits? And we can go deeper. There's, there's a myriad of things that we could judge each other for. All you have to do is read Romans 14 and 15. I'll sum it up in one verse in Romans 15, 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. If you like wine, don't brag about your 99-point tasting in front of somebody who's struggling. It's not loving. Another thing that really is not loving is getting angry towards somebody and deciding to punish them verbally. And then we call that tough love. There is a time and a moment when we can actually go out to somebody and correct them, and the Holy Spirit will inform us. But many times, we use our anger, and in our anger we sin. That's not loving. Who is behind the decisions made in your life? The consequences of acting without love are not good. We end up tearing people down. We end up causing division. Love comes from God, not from us. Let me ask you a question. How do we become believers? What's your story? I know there's a multitude of stories. Every single person in this room has one story. Every believer in this room has one story that's different from the person beside him. We're unique. But we all share a common ground. And I'll tell you what it is. For 99.9% of the people in the world that are believers, I would even say 100, there's one constant. God put a person in your life to point you towards Jesus. God uses people. He is sovereign. He could do whatever he pleases. Yet he chooses to use people like you and me to show himself to the world. God makes himself revealed through our love for each other. In verse 13 he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Living in Jesus changes everything. As we walk with the Lord, sometimes slowly but always surely, his Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is just tugging us towards home. He's tugging us toward his kingdom. All of us have a testimony that reflects a before and an after. Not all of us have, you know, crazy testimony that you're like, whoa, you know, I can see this abrupt change. But everybody has a testimony, and it's really important that you start valuing it. God in his mercy might have been chipping at you for years until you realized that Jesus was really the Lord of your life. You see, John knew his testimony. He knew what he saw and experienced, and he wrote it down. That's the gospel. Have you shared your story? And who do you share it with? I would really encourage you to start sharing your testimony. It's a very simple action. It's very loving in nature. Because what you're doing is you're pointing people to the author of your salvation, to the source of love. 
Maybe you can start with a trusted believer. You don't have to do it publicly, you know, stand on a soapbox out on international. You could just, you know, one-on-one with, a, with somebody that you know is just share your story. This will let your siblings in Christ get to know you better. It's the easiest way to reach out with the gospel to unbelievers. You don't need to have a degree, a nice voice. You don't even know how to read or write. Once you're ready to share your testimony, once you believe. And let me show you why. There's two examples. I'm not going to go to them, but you can write them down. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. That's the blind man who was healed by the Lord. And the first thing he does is get questioned by the Sanhedrin. And what does he do? He shares his testimony. He shares what he saw and what he experienced and who he was saved by. The Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4, verse 28. It says that she dropped everything, everything she had, and ran to the town to share what she had experienced. Redeemed people have a story. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The love that God has for us is reliable. We can rely on it. We know it because God gave us of his Holy Spirit. We know it through the testimony of the word. And we also know it because of the love that we experience for one another. This is really serious business. Because unfortunately, some in the church have taken the path of forgetting about love. Minimizing God's loving character and reducing their faith to good work and legalism. This is a really tricky issue in our culture. We're ultra-independent. We prize autonomy. Self-initiative self-awareness, self-worth. We're self-made men. And, you know, we prize the results of building our careers, our business, our net worth. And these are not bad things. Initiative is a good thing. But beware of letting the world's mentality enter your spiritual life. Are you going to prize your work and your goals so much that you think you can rely on your work to earn God's grace? Are we going to judge believers who fall short of our standards? Are we going to affirm our rights before God's commandments? Be careful to rely on the world to attempt to understand God when God wants us to rely on his love, his word, and his commandments to walk closer with him. And here's a question to make you think. I'm going to come back to it, but do you let God love you? God is love. Verse 17, By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The character of God the Father is to be loving. Let me be more explicit. God's actions, all of his actions, including his wrath, are encompassed in his love. He is a loving Lord. Even when he lets people choose to turn their back to him and go their own way. 
God is love, and in his perfect love, he is also just and jealous. He wants us, and he's just. Let's go back to Jeremiah 17.9. Remember the passage? He says he deals with us according to our behavior. So how did he deal with us? We're sinners, aren't we? Who deserved to die? And who footed the bill and paid the price? It was Jesus. That's love. So now I'll ask you again, do you let God love you? Or do you bury God in a pile of excuses and schemes, you know, your life? It's, it's just too busy and, and you know, i got to keep things in control. And you pretend to know him. We all have some degree of trauma in our life. And I'm going to say something. It's humanly impossible for us to fully appreciate God's love because there's something called sin that divides us from him. We have physical, emotional scars. We have relationships that should have been loving but ended up being nightmares. People really close to us, fathers, mothers, siblings, spouses, really deep cuts that leave us mangled and emotionally stunted. I'm going to tell you right now, I have a really hard time being real. And I have a really hard time being loving. And some of you guys know me, but I'm going to say something. It's really hard for Yusef to get to a point where he's actually sharing deeply enough about himself. Most people don't really get to know what's really going on in my life. Because it's one thing to share and to mask your sharings in, in vague words and say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling bad because of some vague sin or some vague situation. Let's dig deep. Why is it so hard to say that I'm, I'm really sad or I'm depressed? That's scary. Or I'm scared. I don't think I might cut it. I don't think I can make it. How hard is it for me to receive love if I'm not willing to open up? How are you doing? Are you real with yourself? Or do you live in a space that is growing smaller and smaller? You're trapped between some fictional self that you hope you were and your secret reality that is gnawing at you. If you do an honest inventory of yourself, one thing is going to pop out. And it's actually really hard to be honest about yourself. I'm really terrible at this. I'll either make myself some like terrible guy and I'll be like, oh, I'm such a, such a loser and I'm finished and I'm dumb and stupid. Or go the other route. I am right in this one. No one understands me. These people mistreated me. I deserve better. It takes confessing to be able to see yourself better. It takes confessing to a trusted brother and sister to be able to open up your heart. If John says that love is made complete among us and that we must love one another, then let's open up some windows in our life. Your heart might be like that stale house that hasn't seen a lot of oxygen lately, and it's pretty stinky when it's like that. And then you open the window, and what does that feel like? It's cool breeze coming in. It feels alive. You see, loving one another implies that you have to receive love. And it's easier to dish out and be like very servantful, but actually not want to open up, not receive. Read 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 through 13. Paul's addressing the church of Corinth for a specific issue. He says, 
We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. If you're in a place where you have nobody to share with, I'd really encourage you to find that space. There is people available here. Build relationships. It might not be instant. You don't have to run to somebody and just start dumping. But there is availability. There's possibility. There's open people. There's willing people. We can link you to somebody. If you have somebody that you've been friends with but you haven't shared, start making a practice. You can start with your testimony, but open your heart. You see, we have confidence in our salvation as believers in Jesus. Paul said it in Romans 8, 39. And no one can separate us from his love. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What John is mentioning here is that the believer is known by his or her love. It's like an identifier. We stand fast and confident in judgment, as it says in verse 17, we have confidence in the day of judgment, because who we are and what we do is founded and anchored in the rock, in Jesus Christ. Those who don't know Jesus, what do they do? They try to stand on works. They're the people building castles in the sand. They look really nice, but they're unstable. Don't go in there. As Paul said in Corinthians 13.1, they're clanging cymbals. I could have all these gifts, all these great things, but it's empty without love. I want to encourage you. God's love is assurance of salvation. There is no fear of punishment when you're a child of God because the love that God has for you is present in your life. Just like a child grows in confidence when his or her parents reassure them in love, Allowing God to reassure us in his love builds our confidence in his salvation. I want to end with a commandment, because that's what this passage ends with. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jesus says it in Mark 12, 29-31, the most important commandments. And I'll paraphrase, he says, you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. And love one another. God intends for us to live out a life that is called out from this world. A holy life. You see, our life in his kingdom is consequent with his commands and his character. So what do we do with this love? I can't really tell you guys a laundry list of things that you could do. We all have our own issues and and God's working through them. I am confident in that. But let me say one thing that's very, very important. Let's forgive each other. Because there is no love without forgiveness. Why can I say that? What Jesus did on the cross, the ultimate act of love, was in payment for our sins. We can only forgive because he forgave us first. We love only because he loved us first. Do you have unresolved issues with a brother or sister? Did they hurt you? Did they trample your ego? It's time for you to forgive them 
and move towards reconciliation. Jesus does not call us to simply run away from our issues and hide in another city, another country, another congregation when things turn ugly. He doesn't tell us to avoid the brother or sister that we have a problem with. Nor does he tell us to grow bitter with resentment over the injury. Remember Jesus on the cross. He's disfigured, dehydrated, marred, spit upon, lashed, and pierced. And that place is where your life begins. In his wounds, you are healed. It is time to extend that life outwards towards other people. It's time to forgive. I want to read two um, passages to end. First one is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And Paul here is talking about the most excellent way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. When I read that, I see a tall order. It freaks me out. I'm like, I'm not this person. Don't worry. Jesus was this person. And you have life through him. And now he's going to tell us something. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, and then a little bit of 6. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that no one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Have you noticed that our ambassadors are getting shot at in pretty much half of the world? I wanted to let you know that as Christ's ambassadors, you are under attack. But God is with us, and he will protect us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you right now. If you need to be reconciled to God, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. You have a chance to be reconciled to God, to be close to Jesus, to experience real love, to be free from your sin and your past, 
and to move on in a new direction, serving the king and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that your word permeate our life, Lord. We ask that your love permeate us, Lord. Help us in our unbelief, Lord. And and if there are people here who who really need you, Lord, I ask that you speak to them. Lord, we can't live without you. And it is in you and your sacrifice, Jesus, that we find life. I pray this, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.